Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike. In a moment, part two of a two-part Oscar race checkpoint coming to you this week, recapping everything going on in the world of film as part one was chock full of news and information. This one's going to be more focused on movies and upcoming movies, Michael. Yeah, I'm excited for today. We're going to review like over a dozen trailers and then... Probably a half dozen movies uh, that I saw at Tribeca. I'm probably not going to review the other half dozen because I don't want to shout out and kill the dreams of indie filmmakers without distribution quite yet. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see where we're at because we're, we're we're still sparring over Top Gun Maverick slash Jurassic World. We're still kind of building on our over unders from the box office, and we got receipts that we're calling out in the last episode with Box Office Checkpoint. So you and I are still t- what what do, what do they call that? Um, jousting mm. and sparring. And it's fun, and we're having fun, and your Celtics are losing, so it's all good. Why? What is with you? <laughs> this is coming out after Game Six. You on didn't Thursday. want my folly ado title, and now if, I'm. <laughs> I came up. If, if the Celtics have lost, this could be the series finale of Mike, Mike, and Oscar the, right now. So just biggest, be on the, be aware. The biggest arguments we've had on this podcast are over episode titles. <laughs> I want it's Mike true. times two folly ado. I think that's a good title. Isn't that a good title? <laughs> Well, I'm not naming it that now. You did this to yourself. Okay, you did. I know I did. I know I did. I'm um, down. <laughs> um, all right. So like you said, we're going to start with a bunch of trailers for the upcoming blockbuster. It's a hell of a slate for summer. Uh, looks like theaters are finally getting back to, uh, let me, like I said in a tweet, let me be the eight billionth person to officially say that theaters seem to be back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is quite the slate for summer and early fall movies that we're going to get into. We'll start with one of the biggies. Nope. From Jordan Peele, Mike, had its final trailer released, and if I could sum it up, if I was watching this in theaters, the first thing I would say when it was done would be, white! Yeah, the spaceship's white. (laughs) We get a decent amount of plot exposure, finally, in this trailer, and an insane tonal shift from Alien Invasion movie to Ball of Confusion playing by The Undisputed Truth, which is just an all-time banger of a song. Yes. But it looks like we've got some UFO bird box stuff going on here, huh? Don't look at it. I've really enjoyed the marketing journey for Nope. Uh, Jordan Peele, if he's a part of it, then I I think that would make some sense to me because it seems to to jive with what he's he's doing with this movie in particular as opposed to what he's done with the other movies. But let's just talk about this movie. I mean, he released the Flying Saucer kind of poster that's become a bit iconic, certainly on mm-hmm. film Twitter. And the Flying Saucer was evident, even though some dopes out there said it was a black hole, but I, I don't know who they were. I just I won't call <laughs> them out. Uh, the first trailer had the money shot with the tractor beam. I've never been so afraid of a tractor beam before. And this trailer did not include the tractor beam. It's some other tractor tractor beams but not the big one and we've had a second trailer where the big shot is the confirmation of the flying saucer so we know what nope is gonna be about the conflict is clear there are aliens in this movie it's not what we've been dealing with with the last few jordan peele movies mike where we didn't know what the heck you know get out was gonna be actually about we didn't know what us was gonna be about we had a very fun you know uh what was that uh guess the plot plot. yeah we had a very fun guess the plot episode I would we... say we still don't exactly know what this one's about because I don't know where the horse people come into play here. I mean, are they horse aliens or they have a ranch? What? I I don't know. Maybe maybe we don't know what it's about. But at yeah, least I mean, have... they have... so you think the horses get abdu- you think the horses turn into aliens? Is I that think, what you're saying? I think we have clarity in marketing. We don't. Well, there's still some mysteries involved here. Like we don't know the Stephen Yun, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ringmaster kind of performance angle. We don't know what. Daniel Kaluuya's deal is necessarily. Oh, How about his character being named OJ and Kiki Palmer giving run OJ run oh, Jordan Peele, you saucy minx. <laughs> I, I love that. I love this trailer. I, and I'm, 
I'm definitely into the ensemble at large. I love the the new father incident storyline. I love the expert cameraman who's kind of this old grizzled kook. Or is he like a uh, Hollywood cinematographer, old grizzled kook that they yeah, employ? So that's the that's what we got from the plot, right? Kiki Palmer and Jordan Peele are brother and sister who want to get their first alien invasion proof evidence and they want to get it on camera. And that's what the seems to be what they're angling for. In yeah. this, and that's going to be the setup for uh, for this. My my Oscars antenna, by the way, is up for Kiki Palmer's role Good. in this. Good, yeah, I've I've loved her in in Hustlers. I've loved her career on some t- on, on TV properties. No, the movie Alice didn't work, but she was still really good in it. And yeah, she's on the rise. Let's let's have her break through, break in. That would be awesome. But uh, yeah, they want to find the Patterson Gimlin film of of UFOs here, mm-hmm. and we can't know the whole story from these trailers. But I think we have this clarity in genre for this film that is, yeah. is going to help the box office. Like I projected, it's an alien horror film. Is it bird box? Is it, is it a quiet place too? Probably not. Or a quiet place. Is it uh signs again? Probably not, but all those movies made huge money. And my hope like yours is that I think Jordan Peele's story is going to align with this marketing. And this is going to be an act one reveal, if not a mid act two reveal. And this is going to be a monster movie about flying saucers, which, you know, according to the Spielbergian factor of, you know, take an hour and then reveal the monster kind Mm -hmm. of deal. That's what we're getting. And we know what we're getting. And then Jordan Peele can over deliver beyond that. We hope. Yeah. Last episode, a big theme of it was how I may have gone too conservative with my over under numbers from our over under episode uh, talking about, uh, summer box office projections. I'm hoping I was too conservative with this. I'd love to see this overdo or overachieve in terms of box office and you know approach 400, 500 million if possible. Well, worldwide. I guess that'd be great. Here's what I got to ask you beyond the box office, though, about your expectations. Do you need this movie to be about more than the plot we're getting, or if it is a family versus flying saucer thriller? Is that going to be cool enough for you? I mean, we know he's going to have a satirical angle, another layer, another... uh, No, he gave away too much of the subtext, I think. Well, he has to... That's why he has to have... It may not have even been him, though. It may have been, you know, if the studio, if some ad agency cut this trailer together, it could have been their fault. I don't know whose fault it is, but I commented on this in the uh, end of our box office over under segment, as a matter of fact, which was the day this trailer dropped. Right. That that final shot in this trailer where it's the giant white UFO coming down and chasing down OJ on horseback, and it's as it comes down and invades the land and overshadows all the multicolored, uh, wacky, inflatable, wavy arm men who yeah. kind of deflate and, and die because the white thing has taken them over... It, I wish that shot, you know, you don't show that shot in the trailer for the same reason you don't show Allison Williams sitting on the bed eating the Fruit Loop separate from the glass of white milk in the Get Out trailer, you know? Like, you should have saved that, I think. Maybe. And if it happens in the last 30 minutes of the movie, I would agree with you. But if it happens, like, in the middle of the movie, if that's what it's supposed to be in Spielbergian terms, sure. it's the mid-movie climax, and that's fun, and they and they teased us, you know, he teases us to that point with all these gleeful little hints that uh obvious it's that there's gonna be a flag so i mean that could be really fun uh and scary and my god we could have quite the finale and and the the conflict the clash between underdog and obvious extraterrestrial overlord whatever that is it's gonna be fun i think i hope i can't wait i really i truly cannot wait to see this movie and see what's in store another movie that i'm uh quite excited for which Look, Black Adam is the only movie I had less faith in ever actually getting made than the Uncharted movie. So to have both of them come out within months of each other is really going to be a feat for my cynicism. Yeah, you've been smelling what The Rock was cooking on this for a while. (laughs) Uh, And remind me, is this purely just like you being a fan of The Rock and that's your connection? Yeah, that's right. Okay, you don't have a history with the comics? No clue who Black Adam is. Zero idea. Well, you, you're a loyal man uh, in certain <laughs> ways, and you're you're a grudge holder in others. You're. I think it's fascinating having 
Well, I, I would say the last true action star before Tom Cruise's renaissance here, but one of the last true action stars. Can all of the stars in Hollywood be the last star? Like we were well, just saying about everybody. But it's it's true. Like he, he, San Andreas and, and uh, Skyscraper, these movies, I don't know if they get made without Rocky's attachment, and he's bringing them to profitability. And well, to have him part of a, a superhero world is kind of a big deal. I've heard The Rock be the last star. I've heard Will Smith be the last star. Obviously, right. Tom Cruise is the last star. <laughs> right. No, Chris Hemsworth the last star. No, ScarJo. Anyway, uh, I think The Rock is has this unusual charisma, and I do think he's a bona fide movie star. We saw what he's what he's done with the Fast and Furious franchise and the GI and Joe, and that's why franchise. they positioned him to play God in this movie. <laughs> he is a bit religiously framed, I would say. Uh, he's no, he no, he's God. <laughs> he's he's like the backstory of this character in the trailer is the Christian Holy Trinity. I was born a slave. Yeah, I became a god. Did you? My see son was sacrificed Shazam? for me. Did you see Shazam? No, I have not. All right, well, that's you. That's a you problem because this yeah. is also basically the Shazam thing. I mean, we get Shazam had a son who was sacrificed for him. No, but Shazam the the, the whole backstory is similar. That the these these uh, Green Lanterns they're not Green Lanterns, but these other uh, Green Lantern adjacent whatever demigods pick people who are worthy of the powers and they bestow the powers on them. So that's what it is. The but Rock yeah. is Jesus Christ is where I'm landing. Well, it's it, it's a bit, you know, like Thor is based on religion. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, you're not wrong. I've also seen nothing to dissuade me in this trailer from this movie being a potential VFX player. It looks great. Mm-hmm. I think that's more than we could say for some Marvel properties like like She-Hulk. If you want to apples to apples this trailer versus the She-Hulk trailer, Oof. the VFX isn't close on one side. Yeah. And there's just some cool shots in this. Like, the plane punch is awesome. The heroes don't kill people. Well, I do is awesome. The Rock is awesome. Forget Top Gun Maverick. Give this best picture. I'm going to ignore the last part and agree with you about the rest. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, the VS, VFX looks crisp and theater ready. All And that's early for, for a lot of the, the blockbusters that we see trailers for sometimes. I mean, we've seen the VFX half-cooked, half-baked. Right. Uh, so I think the, the character mythos of the Shazam-like uh, superheroes, the fact that this is kind of a prequel to that is, is also a fun move by the DCEU because it still feels fresh because it's The Rock doing it. And it's this, you know, this super charismatic fish out of water, old ancient villain becoming a modern hero, but it's still The Rock and we all love him. This can't miss, can it? Black Adam can't miss. I, I've long said I think The Rock is one of the most protected entities in Hollywood. I don't think he does anything or his team lets him do anything without being sure that it can't miss. Yeah, this is this is going to work. Uh, Black Adam looks looks fun. Bottom line, it looks fun, yeah. and you, you're right. It looks it looks VFX uh, Oscars level, so that's cool too. Go on to the menu, Mike. We got our first look at that movie. It's. Not the mystery I thought it was, the menu. Like, we were wondering if this was going to be a cannibal story. What is Soylent Green made out of? Yeah. We were wondering if this was going to be a, you know, evil island story. I I think the menu is just kind of this fancy schmancy restaurant on an abandoned island where the, uh, the chef goes a bit eat the rich cuckoo without being yeah. cannibalistic, whatever. What if the purge was New Haven's restaurant week? Or what if red dragon went to La Cordon Bleu? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's fun that we have Anya Taylor joy versus Ray fines with everybody being able to laugh at Nicholas Holt. Holt just being a total, total shill. Well, you know, this Uber wealthy a-hole character in similar ways. <laughs> Are that you we- crying? Yeah, we laugh at the Succession ensemble, but this is coming from the Succession filmmaker there, so I'm in. I'm in for the menu. Anya Taylor-Joy, much in the way that Anne Dowd, as every character, is the harbinger of death now on screen, Anya Taylor-Joy, just her characters need to stop going to places with creepy, barren trees because nothing good happens to her characters when she's there. Like The Vich, The Northmen, New Mutants, Split, all creepy, barren trees... All places where Anya Taylor-Joy has a character who bad things happen to her. 
and yet the Queen's Gambit, she was just a city girl and all that. And yeah, well, I guess she was at an orphanage with creepy barren trees in Russia. They have some sure. creepy barren trees. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, as an audience surrogate, though, in this situation, she's played such likable characters in her past. That's uh, I'm totally in for that. Again, we can make fun of Nicholas Holt together. Me and ATJ there. Me and Woj and ATJ. Woj is a super <laughs> fan there. I got to say, I'm a little surprised. I thought there would be more gushing from you about this trailer because of the food. Yeah, the food. But the food looks weird. Does the food not look weird? Oh, it looks fancy schmancy and hoity-toity. Well, why did, when, since when am I that way about food? I would take a sandwich and it could look <laughs> sloppy, extra sloppy, and I'll freaking, I'll I didn't know. I, I didn't know you were, you were a, uh, a 99 percenter when it came to food aesthetic. <laughs> I'm not. That's what my whole point. But, no, you are. You, you don't like the top oh, yeah, 1%, yeah. Oh, the yeah. creme de la creme of, Sorry. you know, yeah, the tiny, tiny, uh. Scissors going into You're individual right. pieces of fish there. Yeah. You're right. I got I inverted my one, you know, my math right. for a second. You're not an elitist. You're not a food elitist. We learned something about you today. I like that. What the, uh... about me? I, I just want a Guinness and a shepherd's pie, which I ate over the I just want that's what I want to eat. And okay, I did. Good to, good to know. <laughs> oh, I'm happy for you then. Um, I like the behind the cre- camera credits. And this one, too, there's a kind of interesting story here. Mike, Mark Millaud is one of those guys. He's been around Premiere TV forever. He's executive produced and directed the likes of Succession, Shameless, Entourage, and others. Now he's making the jump to feature films under Adam McKay's tutelage as the Veep director's Hyper Object Industries foot the bill. It's a production company for this movie. The two credited writers are Will Tracy and Seth Reese, who worked together at The Onion. Oddly enough, Tracy went on to write for John Oliver in Last Week Tonight and Succession, while Reese was the writing supervisor and lead writer on over 300 episodes of Late Night with Seth Meyers. Kind of cool prestige TV guys coming together to put this one uh, on film under Adam McKay's guidance. Yeah, this is going to be like your liberal cabal of uh, <laughs> favorite people so, <laughs> behind this movie. So, no, I, I like them as well. I hope they literally uh, eat Ray Fiennes at the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't eat him. Ray Fonz would eat them. Anyway, sure, whatever. We keep somebody thinking, better get eaten. We keep thinking this is going to be cannibalism, but I think this will not be a subtle critique of the one percent. No, he was involved. But I'm uh, like you. I'm okay with that. Bros, the Billy Eichersons. So we have Billy Eichner playing this famous podcaster who a studio comes to. To have him write the first great gay rom-com script. Mm-hmm. I love this idea for a movie. The meta idea of how to make the perfect gay rom-com by making a movie about making the perfect gay rom-com and how such a feat is actually an impossibility. So Bros is Judd Apatow production company produced. Mm-hmm. I believe it's Nicholas Stoller directing it. He's done a lot of cool stuff, including Forgetting Sarah Marshall Billy on the Street is a hilarious spoof of the quote-unquote candid camera game show, Mike. Yes. And we needed that level of meta coolness to be involved with his big breakout movie hit, right? And this Mm -hmm. trailer does not miss a single beat. I loved every frame of this stupid thing. (laughs) And he's, he's he's taking the piss out of the entire Enterprise because this is one of those guys... That loves slash hates movies and the Oscars as much, if not more, yes. than us. Yes. So I, I just felt honestly terrified at the prospect of this film, but and especially after the bubble kind of tanked. Mike, I'm so relieved after watching this trailer for Bros. I think it's going to be, at least based on the trailer, thoroughly funny. Every joke, you're right, every joke hit for me. And it's just fun. It was just fun to watch this trailer. I mean, it's it's awkward. Especially for two Christian race, sexually awkward men like you and I. (laughs) He's he's making fun of us in the trailer, but I can take that. And he's making fun of himself. Like the Dumbo squat thrust in the ball pit workout. I spit my coffee out. There's a scene where it's four naked men in an orgy. (laughs) And Billy Eichner's making out with a guy. And then he's like, it widens out. And the guy's getting blown by two men. And Billy Eichner's on the side of this foursome. And he's just like, hey, I'm going to (laughs) go. Killed me. Absolutely killed me. The rivalry in this movie between bisexuals and lesbians killed me. The kiss, like, there's the funny stuff. And then there's, I felt more like 
a, a feeling of success and pride with Billy Eichner kissing that guy on the dance floor and then walking away from him than any heterosexual rom-com has ever given me. Because they're great written characters and they're relatable and they're rounded. It's a comedian telling a story about himself. So he's making mm. fun of himself as much as he's making fun of everybody else. So it's fair. Again, when it's honest and fair, that's that's been the bottom line to all these Apatow movies where I don't think Madonna's going to do the same thing to herself, unfortunately. Go check maybe, out our last episode. Maybe that's why she fired the previous screenwriter who wanted to make a rounded character. <laughs> I'm worried about the Madonna movie. Sorry, film Twitter. But I'm not worried about bros this looks hysterical yeah can't wait for that also can't wait for mission impossible dead reckoning part one which was a leaked trailer that was shown exclusively at the Cannes film festival somebody recorded it leaked it online it was never taken down and it actually took a few days before paramount put up their own version of it officially on their youtube channel yeah, and they put it in front of Top Gun, uh, which was also a very obvious, necessary, and ve- yes, very smart move. But how about that title, Part 1? They got a subtitle, subheading, good enough to say, no, Dead Reckoning is going to be Dead Reckoning, and then Dead Reckoning Part 2. I love that name. I love what it could mean. I love the the trailer. I, I mean, your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. You're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist. That's the voice of Kittredge, mm-hmm. who is and has been played by Henry Zerny wonderfully yeah. uh, since Mission Impossible 1 in 1996. But here's the thing. Kittredge hasn't been in a Mission Impossible movie since Mission Impossible 1 in 1996. And the fact that he's in this one... Mm-hmm. After when we last saw him in Mission Impossible 1, seated in the restaurant, revealing to Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt character that he had been played, where Ethan Hunt puts the exploding gum on the fish tank. We thought we thought uh, Kittredge might have blown up or died there. But no, he's back. And not only is he back, he's back to tell Ethan Hunt that, look, after all of what you've been through and double-crossed and re-double-crossed, you have to just pick a side. And if there's a more appropriate... For what this nation and the notion of right and wrong has gone through in the last 25 years since the first Mission Impossible movie came out, where it's just like, at some point, you just have to pick a side between good and bad. Oh, my God. If this trailer was just those 50 seconds of Kittreds explaining all this to Ethan Hunt, Mm -hmm. my mind would have been blown. It makes no sense what he says, but it's really ominous when he says it. Because think about it. He's like... No, the world is nihilistic. I'm nihilistic. You're nihilistic. Everything about good and evil is meaningless. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you still have to pick a side. <laughs> what? I, I mean, look at, look at the state of the look at the state of the country, man. It's fine, <laughs> but it's a completely paradoxical, which makes no sense. That. Uh, you have to make a value judgment. Everything value is evil. Don't matter. Everything is evil. You just have to pick a side. <laughs> look. Cutting these Mission Impossible trailers aren't rocket science. They are not. Have a have a bunch of cool stuff in a montage. Basically, make a Bond trailer and then have a recognizable voice like Ken uh, Kittredge there, a recognizable voice of the franchise telling Ethan just how impossible this mission is this time. <laughs> it's simple. Then they nailed it. <laughs> and well, the remaining minute or so, we don't get much as far as plot development or anything. We get a lot of car chase scenes, a lot of green smoke bombs, a lot of Tom Cruise going ham in a tidy Volkswagen bug that looks like it's straight off yeah. the line of 1970. Get the call back to Mission Impossible 1 with Cruise fighting the bad guy on top of a speeding train, and then there's the money shot. We get glimpses of the whole movie, though. Like, sure. we get montages of all the locales. We get... Each of the big action sequences basically laid out to us. There's a big shootout in the desert. There's something on a submarine. There's all kinds of city car chases, and we see, we get glimpses of the fights and the rivalries. Nothing in space yet. Nothing in space yet, but we, look, at we get a lot of women featured as allies and villains here. It's it's cool to see Haley Atwell and Palm Clementi for the Guardians uh, franchise mm-hmm. there. They're, they're ass they're ass kicking throughout the trailer and that's added to rebecca ferguson and vanessa kirby who are already established in this franchise uh glowingly to, 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 i i think this is going to be a, a great showcase for female action stars which may take us into the you know the next wave of action movie franchises i would hope i can't wait i i really can't wait and my god that that cliff dive he does 
at the end of this trailer. <laughs> did he? Did, he has to have really done that, right? Did, I would think, knowing Tom Cruise. So look at Battinson, you got nothing. And Narak, <laughs> you got nothing on this 60-year-old lunatic right here. It's crazy. <laughs> He's flying crazy. squirreled off of a motorcycle off of a giant cliff. For real. Probably. Where, we think. Where do you... How do you shoot that and have him not die? Is somebody else flying, squirreling after him? <laughs> There's just one guy at the bottom like trying to catch him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you pull that off. Tom Cruise is... I hope it was not real, but I think it was. Is he going to be doing this into his 80s? Like, it's just is this just what Tom Cruise does now? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> one of those movies is just going to end with a splat. A splat. <laughs> Dead they roll the credits quick. <laughs> Dead <laughs> Reckoning Part Four. Get everyone out of the theater. <laughs> Michael, we have the Gray Man. We'll talk about some streaming trailers for a hot minute here. Uh, the Gray Man, starring Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans from the Russo brothers. Huge property coming to Netflix. Also featuring their you know star from Bridgerton, Reggie Jean Page. Anna the Armas, great ensemble, Billy Bob Thornton, etc. What'd you think? Two hundred million dollar price tag for the production budget. This is going to be Netflix's big summer player. A lister on top of a lister in this one. It's adapted from a famous book series, and all I could think of <laughs> is that Dana Carvey's character in The Master of Disguise is called Pistachio Disguisey, and all I could think of when I saw Chris Evans in this trailer with that beautiful mustache uh-huh. is that his character should be called mustachio top lippy is the master of disguise another naked gun 33 and a third for you is that a my, cult classic? my buddy uh my buddy tim introduced it to me when we were like teenagers and i remember watching it at his house a lot and there he listens to the show so if he happens to listen to this episode he'll know exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about but there was a one part of the master of disguise that uh we still quote to this day where, <laughs> where it's dana carvey mimicking uh, the guy from Jaws <laughs> talking about <laughs> Doc Edman come around here, Doc Edman go in the water, shark in the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Maybe I got to rewatch The Master of the Sky. It's got like a 3.6 on IMDb. It's so funny. Screw IMDb. <laughs> anyway, the gray man, Michael. <laughs> what? What? Can we just turn this into a massive discussion? No, okay. What is Chris <laughs> Evans doing in this trailer? What is his character? Like, he's arrogant, but it's a different type of arrogant than the arrogant we saw from him in Knives Out. Yeah, he's like a world-class uh, super spy hitman in this. So, yeah, maybe a little more arrogant, different type. But the way he says ballsy with his gun pointed at Ryan Gosling's head. Or Completely unnecessary. He drops the grenade, <laughs> Ryan Gosling does. And in the time that Chris Evans says ballsy, he could have just shot Ryan Gosling and yeah. walked clear of the blast. Based well, don't, on the he, I mean, and he had to smirk first for 10 seconds. They have to have the repartee. Like, look, uh, Netflix, maybe don't show that little Easter egg because that's probably funny in context of the whole movie. Anyway, I, look, I think they kind of screwed up this trailer. But if they're, these guys are supposed to be the best hit men ever, then the hitmen don't they don't hesitate like that come on <laughs> maybe he's all about the chase and he doesn't want to actually catch him that'd be kind of a cool subplot if they can work that in i doubt it um but i i, I don't know man it's as amped up as i was for mission impossible dead reckoning part one chapter two verse three or whatever <laughs> I, I was equally as apathetic about this movie and it's just I don't think it's anyone. I don't think it's Netflix's fault or the Russo brothers' fault or Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans' fault, Anna De Armas's fault. I don't think it's. I just think it's impossible to get going from fresh, from scratch, an action franchise in the action genre these days. It's just every trailer to me is so trope filled. It's so cookie cutter because it has to be almost. Right. I, I. It just feels like an impossibility. This trailer felt like something I've seen a zillion times before. And if you don't have nostalgia to rely back on, for me right now, it's like, okay, cool. Guns and explosions and one-liners. And there's legitimately cool stuff in this trailer. But it's just, you know, it's been done. I've seen it. The quips are, are cool and fun and funny. I mean, Gosling makes fun of Evans's mustache mm-hmm. uh, after 
but Gosling is targeted. He's talking to Day Armas and saying, quote, my ego's a little hurt. And he's talking to Billy Bob and saying the ominous slash funny line, you're going to be going to my funeral next. So mm-hmm. I think the script looks like it and sounds like it's well written. And you're right. The action looks legit and the cinematography looks gorgeous. And yeah, the facial hair is goofy, but at least they, you know, cut into it. Mike, I think you're right. I think it's we're spoiled right now. Right. We, we're getting so much IP just regurgitated or done better or sent up or nostalgicized. I'm inventing words, but That's we're a, a little word. lazy as trailer watchers. I think Netflix knows this, and they gave us all the goods and the spectacle in the trailer, when in fact this is IP that was purchased at a certain price for us for a multitude of reasons, right? I mean, it's got to have the goods. They got the, you know, the guys who made the biggest movie in the history of movies you know, to spearhead it. So they're putting the resources in the right place, I think. So we know nothing about these characters other than that they're witty. You know, we get a glimpse that it's, all right, two awesome uh, hitmen that are trying to kill each other. That's all we know. But I'm sure there's a long story involved here. They didn't give us that trip. Maybe this is a me problem, but if anyone else feels like this, you kind of have to give away a twist at this point in an action movie, in the trailer. Just to get people talking about it. I, I don't know. Did you see a lot of people talking about this trailer when it dropped? I don't think I did. Because I think the market is saturated with these right. kind of That's movies. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They're more relatable because they have the IP attachments to us as viewers. So you're probably right. Like This is probably the wrong move. They probably should have done more of an expositional trailer. But, yeah, we do... We do get Russo Brothers, Big Budget, Broad Daylight, City Street Fighting like we saw in The Winter Soldier, and uh, which might have been the best, by the way, street fight shootout since Heat or Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. And if you don't consider Baby Driver a fight scene, you know, more of a chase scene, then yeah, I, th- I would say The Winter Soldier might be the best I've seen in a while. So this is not a great trailer, but there's a lot of good ingredients that I could see here, and I, I think... I got to give the benefit of the doubt. I think we should give the benefit of the doubt to the Russo brothers and to the people involved here that this should still be good, but no, not a good trailer. I would agree. Yeah. I, that's unfortunate. I was, I was, I don't know. And again, I don't think it's their fault. I don't think it's Netflix's fault. I don't think it's whoever cut the trailers. I just think it's, you know, just I mean, tough. It's a kind of a, a typical trailer. So right. We, we want to know more about this particular story. And I, obviously I get the overarching thing about it, but I think if it's based on a novel that's got to be purchased for $200 million, there should be more to the just, all right, we purchased a novel about two assassins in a fight to the death. Mustachio, top lippy. From one disappointing <laughs> trailer, maybe a letdown of a trailer, to a trailer that both we mics were fawning over, Prey. I love this trailer Same. from Hulu. This is directed by uh, Dan Trachtenberg, Prey, of 10 Cloverfield Lane and The Boys. By the way, The Boys, season three or four, whatever it is, I love it. It's so funny. I've heard it's nothing but good things evil and funny things and terrible. about it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, what did you think of Prey, Mike? Why would anyone want to watch Beast when they could watch this instead? This is giving you Beast, but yeah. with predator's origin story all right well beast beast did look good beast is crawl i couldn't come up with the name yes okay but beast is anaconda crawl it's the late august but you get that with the bear in this trailer alone i tell you what beast look good until he punches it away at the end of the trailer like he punches a lion and it works eat yourself a punch (laughs) defeats lion are you kidding me but look i mean pray what an opener to this trailer. You're absolutely right. That that cartoon bear, it's a cartoon bear. We, it's obviously a cartoon bear. That cartoon bear is a hundred times more terrifying than every cartoon dinosaur in Jurassic World Dominion <laughs> and the cartoon lion and beast. You're right. Uh, I love this as a concept for a movie. Uh, I love the casting of this. It seems to be uh, actual Native Americans playing Native American roles. You have the Predator origin story, taking it all the way back to the beginning, how that being got there really cool visuals there's the overhead shot of the two main characters running through the field being chased by a predator that you can't see but it's in tall grass so you see his marks chasing them and closing down on them oh man everything you have a tribe of these of these natives that are they hunt to survive literally against a predator which is a a supernatural being that hunts to live and the tagline is something similar to that i know i butchered it but it's such a cool concept to me a lot of inspired storytelling here. so and, and we should expect that from Dan Trachtenberg. He's awesome. We love mm-hmm. 
Uh, he was former slash film guy turned filmmaker, and or maybe he was always he, well, he was always a filmmaker. But I, I just have been a huge fan of his career. So to see such a charismatic protagonist, such a willful protagonist, such a protagonist that we're rooting for in a simple trailer like this, we get this underdog story of her being kind of uh, thought you know disrespected in her own tribe. She's standing mm-hmm. up to the elders, and then she's got this brilliant. Uh, just just brilliant courage to her in that bear hunt uh, that was madness I, in that uh in that uh fact that she, she is able to track this predator well enough to where she understands the sniper laser in the open field my heart leapt into my throat mm. in that scene and then you got her innovativeness with the like arnold did the, she's got axes on a string and she's able to throw those, these axes back and forth to herself my god it's cool so who's setting the trap for who in this movie is my, one of my questions. And the second of my questions, and this is where, if this is an action movie, the nostalgia factor kind of kicks in and works to this is f- to this movie's favor versus something like The Gray Man, because the main character can't win, right? I mean, Predator goes on to face Arnold. Predators well, are going to be there. I don't know how familiar you are with these movies. I, that, I know there's more one than one Predator. predator. I understand. Yeah, I, I understand that. There's all Predators, so it could but just be they, another Predator. They survive, right? I mean, but yeah, but it, they, they, all the predators just go off and hunt things in the universe. Mm-hmm. So this is just any old predator. She could totally kill it, or the predator could kill her. I don't know. Uh, but the the fact that the predator blood is the neon war paint on her face in the poster also yeah. very cool. Mm-hmm. I love this franchise. I, I love Predator One. I love Predators. It was one of my favorite reboot quills. I would say. With uh, Adrian Brody there, and somehow loved that movie. I, I thought it was so audacious, just starting yeah. with the <laughs> free fall. Watch the start of that movie; that was badass. And then, yeah, we we've had some sick, weird fun with the AVP stuff. No, I'm not a huge fan of Predator Two or whatever, but I think I think this looks awesome. I'm surprised Hulu's releasing this directly on the service and not in theaters this could make hundreds of millions of dollars i would say but i guess they're devoting ip to the streamers i completely agree that this would make money if it was a theatrical release but i also for a a fledging streamer like hulu that needs as many interesting original properties as it can get and it seems to have the tv market cornered right now at least as far as you know true to life adaptations this is a great grab by them i think Oh, I, I can't wait. I mean, this is appointment viewing on, yeah. on Hulu for sure. Mike, we have a couple from Netflix coming up here, sticking with streaming. The Sea Beast, How to Train Your Sea Dragon. <laughs> Look, I, I thought this looked fun. This is a combination of cute and cool. They're huge yeah. monsters. Kids are going to love this. Adults are going to be curious about it and like it. I think the tete-a-tete between the, the kid and the, you know, the the seafaring master killer of monsters yeah, look got fun. some serious moana vibes from this whole trailer yeah it's the creators of moana there and that's why oh is it i didn't even realize that <laughs> I just the the interplay between the child and the uh you know the maui character the sea captain character in this one i was like oh there's you know the, this is the moana. trailer starts out from the creators of moana in huge letters no well, that's something, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Your subconscious isn't very subtle. Uh, no, so many sea beats, so many sea beats in a trailer call, of a movie called The Sea Beast. Why isn't it called Sea Beasts? It's called The Sea Beast. Why isn't it called Monster Island? Oh, Monster Island's good, but that Aren't could they be like add an island that's just surrounded and filled with monsters. All those yellow things chasing them through the jungle and whatnot. I don't know. That's a good question. Monster Island's not a bad title. Yeah. Hire us, Netflix. <laughs> Persuasion, Michael. Persuasion looks great on Netflix July 15th. This is a Jane Austen adaptation. This trailer, I was blown away by this trailer featuring Dakota Johnson. I am not familiar with this particular Jane Austen story, so I had no idea, even though she's very good at hooks with these romances, she's hasn't wrote like a harrowing story where I truly felt like, no, these characters will never be together. But this is actually a much more mature conflict. They've both been, you know, elsewhere, like away for seven years. And I genuinely don't know what will happen here. Right, Mike? Mike? Mike, are you there? Michael? Are you on the line still? <laughs> um, Cosmo Jarvis is a Hall of Fame name. Uh-huh. This trailer sounded like it had the Downton Abbey theme playing throughout it. 
They all do. They all get and, the sweeping. Uh, this concludes my thoughts on this trailer. <laughs> I'm I'm pumped for this cast. I think they're doing a nice job. Dakota Johnson's getting away with the accent. Cha Cha real smooth. What, what what is what is what is what is intriguing about this trailer? Mike, we don't know if they'll be together or not, and I'm actually invested in this, those two Have characters. Have you seen any movie ever? <laughs> <laughs> of course they're going to be together. <laughs> we don't know that. Henry Golding is charming, damn it. Crazy Rich Asians last Christmas. Henry Golding could wind up with T- T- Dakota I Johnson. Am, I mean, the only appealing thing to me is to see how ridiculous Richard E. Grant gets. I'm, I want to see that. Otherwise. Did I mention Henry Golding is filthy rich, like the trailer said? <laughs> no, Cosmo funny. Jarvis has been awesome in a couple different things, by the way. Nobody knows him, and they should. Lady Macbeth, funny face, calm with hor- uh, horses. Nikki Amuka Bird uh, from Bird Box and Luther. I mean, this cast is great. I, I'm I agree this. with that. I agree it's a, it's a really good cast. I agree Dakota John- Johnson is charming and charismatic, and... As much of my bias against period pieces is there, I wasn't. I was drawn to her and watching her goof around and having to play serious with a a strawberry jam mustache painted on her face was cute. Come on, if I yeah, that was a cute scene. It, it was. works as a scene. So if I make you click play on this at some point, you might do it, right? I mean, perhaps. Oh my god! If you ever <laughs> make us do a period piece rewatch series, man. No, I'm just saying I'm 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 actually in to watch this. And I, I don't think I would have been before this trailer. It's not the most offensive Jane Austen type trailer I've ever seen. Here's the thing. Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, they're legitimately good films. And that's there's a reason why these stories have been timeless. I think and I've sold seen more Sense copies. and Sensibility. I don't think I've ever seen Pride yeah, and Prejudice. They sold more copies than the as many as the Bible, those books. Yeah. For, for, uh, <laughs> no, they're all fiction. That's take why. God's Never name mind. in vain here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Look it. Now we're both, we just got on my mom's good side, and now here we go again. <laughs> it's uh, Downton Abbey, a new era's review all over again. She wants to slap you, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she don't even wants to. She has, and probably will again. Yeah. Uh, get used to it. <laughs> Michael, I think uh, I think Persuasion looks darn good, and I'm I'm happy to see it on J- July 15th. I will click play on Persuasion. Michael, will you click play on Disney's Pinocchio, starring Tom Hanks as Geppetto? Yeah, Tom Hanks wearing prosthetics. What a novel concept that is for 2022, huh? Eric Anderson is a ja- dad joking son of a bitch, <laughs> who I deeply respect for his audacity uh, of corny tweets. Continual corny. T- I love him for it. I spit out my coffee when he tweeted the split shot photos of Hanks as, you know, from Elvis and then Hanks as Geppetto. And then the caption read, this is what long COVID looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying. That's good. That's good. <laughs> that was good. So, like, Hanks is, he's making this weird transition in his career from, like, movie star to character actor. And it's just bizarre to me because... For decades, we Tom Hanks has been Tom Hanks. And yeah, he may change his haircut, or the inflection in his voice, but from Leo to J-Law to Denzel to Cruz to Will Smith to ScarJo, all the movie stars have done this. This has been the thing that they've done. Even The Rock, I mean, they're still the same voice right? for the most part. And when they, they do have the departure... You know, we have fantastic beefs about it, right? Because it's See, awkward. Well, this, this is what happened. Like, you let him grow his hair out once for Angels and Demons, and all of a sudden, this is a slippery slope. It's a bizarre accent again. Why is he speaking so slowly? It's like he's speaking to a, <laughs> a three-year-old in, in the bedroom, which just sound he sounds like a pedophile. Again, I can't believe I'm saying this. Tom Hanks, stop doing this silly... Winnie the Pooh narrator voice in your movies. <laughs> Starlight, Starbright. Why is the voice that <sighs> that velvety smooth? Why? I also was freaked out by the Jiminy Cricket portrayal. Yeah, it's it's a little. Uh, it's a. She she's not tiny. She's humongous. Mm. Uh, Cynthia Erivo could do anything. She could sing. She's got the pipes for it. But yeah, it's Robert Zemeckis doing a room-sized Tinkerbell makes no sense. I Wait a minute. Tinkerbell wasn't in Pinocchio, was she? Uh, 
I know I what know. you're like. It looks like Cynthia Erivo is playing Tinkerbell in this trailer, but Tinkerbell. Oh, is Tinkerbell from Peter, is Pan. Peter Pan. Yeah. Oh, I'm a dope. What is? And she? Jiminy Cricket was the little green thing that was running around. What was that in Jiminy Cricket? That was that was Pinocchio. She's Jiminy know. Cricket. No, Jim, I don't think Cynthia Erivo was playing Jiminy Cricket. There was there was like a computer animated Jiminy Cricket as part of this oh. trailer. What the hell? A little Who guy the hell running is... around the floor. I don't know who wow. Cynthia Erivo plays. Because in my mind, I thought Cynthia Erivo was playing Tinkerbell as well. You know That's why what? I was like, wait a minute. This movie reminds me of Moana. Moana. I, think, uh, <laughs> I just pulled a you. I got confused. 99% no, I, I, but I had the same thought. I thought Cynthia Erivo was Tinkerbell. But Tinkerbell's not from Pinocchio. Gaffs. That just hit me now. Gaffs in this trailer. This trailer well, this, review segment from me. Yeah. And you. These gaffes by us as well. But <laughs> there's also red flags attached to this trailer because mm-hmm. if I were to tell you that they were making a live action Pinocchio starring Tom Hanks as Geppetto, wouldn't you think that's easily going to be a Christmas release movie for theaters? Well, uh, yes. And then if you look back at all the, you know, the, the recent uh, maneuverings of Disney Plus and they put. Four films from Pixar? Was it four or three? They three, put the last ma- three. All right, yeah. they put major resources behind those three Pixar films, and they put them directly to streaming. We've seen Disney obviously sink hundreds of millions, if not billions, into the television shows, but yeah. I but think- it's not like Disney isn't putting out stuff this holiday in theaters either, though. But I think Disney understands that exclusive content is going to drive uh, subscriber numbers on the streamers, so they have to feed that beast with legitimate content. So a Tom Hanks, Geppetto, Pinocchio movie and a Predator reboot quill, whatever, pre prequel boot quill that looks awesome from 10 Cloverfield Lane director. I, they're Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks in a direct to streaming yeah. movie. Yeah, you're right. This but is playing Cynthia September, Rita. but playing, you know, not even playing in the fall, not even playing in the holiday. And they have two movies. Disney does listed coming out in the holidays, uh, both Disenchanted and uh, what's the other one there? The uh, Strange World mm-hmm. are coming out. They're listed as coming out within a day of each other. I don't know if that's maybe one of them's going to Disney Plus. Maybe they're both going to be day and date on Disney Plus. I don't know. But it, it, just a red flag to me. Like, why would this be a September release? That's so bizarre. Who else is doing day and date, though? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if anyone some... is. It seems like Warner Brothers has shied away from it completely. So now, I know I Cha-Cha Real Smooth came out a little early. Netflix is doing the little early releases thing still. But otherwise, yeah, no day and date really since the yeah. pandemic. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. This looks, looks preposterous, though, no, doesn't it? This looks stupid. Do you like stupid. Pinocchio? Yes, I'm Italian. Of course I like Pinocchio. <laughs> So what I have the deep, ridiculous, absurd voice of Geppetto, Tom Hanks. What are we doing? It looks absurd. It, it sounds is absurd. Voice. I agree. I agree. It is a weird. I, I don't. I don't have any desire to see this movie. To be honest. No. Yeah. Well. All right. Let's uh. Let's transition from one dour note to something hopefully a little more uplifting we're going to talk about mike's experience here doing tribeca both at home and going into the city for the film festival itself so mike uh look last year you had a great time with the tribeca at home this year you had uh, we touched on the frustrating experience you had before the festival started you revealed at the end of one of our previous episodes that tribeca pulled eight films from the at-home offerings just at the start of the festival itself. That obviously bummed you out and was kind of dirty pool by them from the way you described it. But all that being said, how has the Tribeca experience been for you overall this year? All right. Well, I'll be honest. I think my trip to New York City, seeing four movies, three of those four were immensely enjoyable films and all four were worthwhile experiences uh Letitia Wright and Josh O'Connor were in Aisha and that's a it's a heavy movie it's a tough tough sit but it's a it's a, a good story and a story worth telling I had two great meals Molly's Irish pub and we had a <laughs> shepherd's pie on a way too hot day for a shepherd's pie I even made the joke to the bartender I was like it's too hot out to order this but I'm coming here for this I'm coming please for please give me a mashed potato hamburger <laughs> please and he did it was delicious <laughs> And I was happy for it. And then I'm like, I'm thrown because I wanted to get the best burger in the city. Mm-hmm. But they're having a stickball tournament, an oh. annual stickball tournament where they're just doing burgers and dogs outside. So I could have went in for that, even though that would have been, I don't know how long that would have taken me. But I 
couldn't get the best burger in the city. I had I had I had to fall back to my backup plan, which was Molly's. So at night, I had no other place that I was going to go to because I was going to go to those two places for lunches and lunch and dinner. So I'm like frantically searching after my my third movie, Vengeance, frantically searching for where to go. And I so happened to just walk past the sushi restaurant that looked awesome. And huh. I went into there. And <laughs> I ordered three rolls brought to me immediately. Delicious. <laughs> Mike, I did the fat guy move of the century. I was like, can I have the menu back, please? <laughs> ordered three more rolls. Wow. Like a glut. It was too many rolls. I should have ordered a fourth roll and have been happy. I ate six rolls of sushi in one sitting. I am. I, I should be bigger than I am. <laughs> I asked delicious. you. I asked you how Tribeca was going, and you didn't mention a word about a theater or a movie. <laughs> I've seen 12 movies. I've seen eight movies at home. I went down the rabbit hole of describing my my uh, lunch and dinner. Uh, I saw three good movies in person. I saw I saw uh, four good movies at home. So I'm like seven of 12 so far, which is decent. Uh, and I guess I can review those movies now. So, yeah. Let's start with Vengeance, which is coming out in July. I was able to guess this one just off the trailer, so I don't know how much of a mystery it's going to have within it, but you were at the world premiere of it uh, on this past Sunday. What do we think? Is it still worth watching? Okay, so people, don't watch the trailer for Vengeance then, but this is BJ Novak of The Office and of uh you know inglorious bastards he's a recognizable recognizable face making his directorial debut here you also wrote the screenplay and the screenplay is like the greatest strength slash worst enemy of this story i would say of this movie because it might be a bit overwritten and yes you guessed it it has some third act problems Mm. vengeance does but a lot of points for ambition if you like meta commentary if you like you know uh, big innovative plots like in everything everywhere all at once this kind of has the same kind of triumphs and faults to it, I would say. And what is the equalizer I, I would uh, pin down is the laugh factor. Like, I'm laughing at this movie. I'm laughing oh, with good. this movie. It has solid action and drama and, like I said, meta commentary. But if you make me laugh 20 times, I'm in. And this is a fish-out-of-water story, uh, kind of like my cousin Vinny, where you have this... New Yorker journalist who has a hit podcast. So it's about a podcaster getting weaseled into going to Texas to solve the murder of his girlfriend, but not really his girlfriend. And the whole Texan family in West Texas just breaks his balls the entire time. So it's really funny. And you have a great cast of Boyd Holbrook from Logan, of Ashton Kutcher, of J. Cameron Smith from Succession, Issa Rae, he's on the phone with constantly throughout this. And I just thought he he had fun. And this is a Jason Blum project. So Jason Blum's going to be behind it for Focus Features. And I, I thought it's a fun, whodunit type story. I give it a solid B. Does it shock me? No, but there's there's more to it than that. If you stick with it past the mystery or if you, you there's more to it. It's a funny comedy and it's got some uh meta commentary, I would say. The premise of it and the trailer of it does seem to be akin to Only Murders in the Building, but Southern edition and maybe more political. I have not watched that yet. I know you have. I, yeah. I think uh, I I keep wanting to watch that truthfully. You should. You would enjoy it. I'm sure you would lap it up. Right, but is the mystery as important as the 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 comedy of that? I, I yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, there's a, there's certainly a mystery at the, at the center of it. I've struggled with whodunit series. I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with that, especially like Net, uh, Apple's The After Party, because Apple's The After Party has been like they focus on one character per episode, but I know like the character that you're focusing on in episode two didn't do it. Nah, I see. So how does that, I don't know, maybe they did and maybe they'll go back and retroact something and that, that'll put the twist on me. But you're right, Vengeance <laughs> Vengeance is not the whodunit that it is the comedy for me. Right. Fish out of water comedy, yeah. All right, so you were high on Vengeance relatively. You were also high on Acid Man starring Thomas Hayden Church and Deanna Agron. Agron? Yeah, Diana from Glee. Agron? I Diana. think I murdered that name. Diana Agron, I think. Diana Agron? All right, we'll go with that. She was a star on uh, Fox's Glee. I never watched that show. Not a Leah Michelle fan, never have been. Maggie tracks down her estranged and reclusive father, Lloyd. Together they attempt to make first contact, is the premise. 
So it's about Thomas Hayden Church. He's a recluse, and he's trying to contact aliens because he sees lights in the sky kind of thing. And it's based on the Netflix short, John, Who's Trying to Contact Aliens. Okay. <laughs> I think they came out with another another short film, Netflix. It was exactly this story, so I don't know if this guy <laughs> took it from there, but I really enjoyed this. This is an adorable, uh, sweet father-daughter story, and it has two awesome performances. This is as good as Thomas Hayden Church and Diana Agron have ever been, so I was very impressed that they pulled this off. Uh, I think she's this estranged daughter that you're rooting for so hard. You're rooting for him. Uh, they're both a bit lost, and it's just a, a character two-hander that director, writer-director Alex Lehman has done extremely well thus far in his early in his career. Blue Jay, Paddleton, Acid Man. He's got a His next movie is called Meet Cute between Kelly Cuoco and Pete Davidson. And huh. he's just a really fun guy. I, I, I actually asked a question in the in the Q and A. I was like, "What's the deal with your you know fixation on two handers in your career?" And he said, "Look, if I go to a party, I'm going to be the type of person who corners somebody else and just gets to know that somebody else. I'm all about this as a movie storytelling principle, I guess, because that's who I am. I'd rather get to know somebody deeply than you know chat up the whole party or whatever." So. That's it's cool. just in his wheelhouse. So, yeah, this is a strong B grade. I mean, it's, you know, it's not going to change the the world of uh, two-handers, but great performances, really high-level filmmaking, too. The cinematography is excellent. This guy can make a movie. I was just really impressed with it. Good question by you, too, and good job not saying anything offensive to get thrown out of that auditorium. <laughs> yeah, I, did. Uh, I, I managed not to <laughs> put my foot in my mouth for once. One of the greatest film premises I have ever read, especially for a comedy... A married couple face a marriage test when one of them drops a baby during a tropical island <laughs> wedding. This is The Drop, starring Jermaine Fowler, Anna Conkle, and Jillian Bell. So this is from a director, Sarah Adina Smith, who was wrestling with the, whether or not she should have her own child. And she does. So this is about all the anxieties of having a kid. <laughs> and my God, is this movie funny. I, look, I look. I, I mean, it's it's one of those awkward cringe comedies that I don't typically like. I'll be totally honest with you. But you have Jermaine Fowler, Anna Conkle, Jillian Bell. Like, this is a funny cast. You have Aparna Nacherla from Mythic Quest. She's hilarious uh, as this bride, one of the two brides of the movie, where she's kind of almost definitely like this joe rogan like conservative <laughs> but it's also hint at hinted at the whole film like she she's checking in a, everybody's like ever since she had the baby she's become like this militant conservative and it's really funny uh anna conkles from pen 15 she's she's always really good joshua leonard has been in all the duplass stuff uh utkarsh and Budkar. I, I just think he's funny for britney runs a marathon and then the kid from Mythic Quest, Alicia Hennig, he has. They all have moments that bring the house down, and I just was laughing like an idiot the whole movie. So, got to give this one a B. I mean, is it? You know, it's not forgetting Sarah Marshall, but it's it's definitely uh, on the level of one of those vacation comedies that you just. It's fun, like when you go to a movie and they take you to another place, and right. that, that's what they were talking about after in the Q and A. They're like, we love these destination movies where you go go on vacation as an audience member too. So that just works for me as well. That's why Couples Retreat has always been one of the movies replaying <laughs> over and over again on cable. I'm convinced You're the of one. that reason. You're the one who still watches Aloha, don't you? No, I will not watch Aloha. I draw the line. But you're tempted because, hey, I'll spend 90 minutes in Hawaii. Yeah, where Emma Stone is supposed to be playing a native uh, Hawaiian, I think. Oh, my God, remember that. Uh, You also have three documentaries. You like them from the Tribeca at Home series. Run us through those. Yeah, Kaepernick in America, a comprehensive look at his life and career and certainly his silent protest. This is a saga that's impossible to do in 86 minutes, Mike, but they do it. So it's a good sports doc. It's a good, uh, you know, there's fervor to the protest doc aspect of it all. I can't believe they covered it that fast that well. That's a B. Billion Dollar Babies, the true story of the Cabbage Patch Kids. 
This was so VH1. I love the 80s and style I'm and execution. <laughs> Say I, less. I was a fan. B85, rags to riches story for the the toy makers here. Really fun. Uh, Butterfly in the Sky, documentary about reading Rainbow featuring LeVar Burton. Like one of my favorite people. that's cute. I grew up with this show and I love this new subgenre of PBS, (laughs) PBS television programming, like behind the scenes, bio documentaries. I'm in for it. Going back through. Is there controversy? Well, I, yeah, there's some. I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, more of a puff piece, but it's just unique that these people were able to create such quality children's programming in a world of just such 80s schlock, and they educated all of us growing up. And I just, I'm very grateful to it, so I'm also very happy that uh, they get their shine in a documentary like this. So maybe that's totally reading rainbow nostalgia from me, but this is... This is another B uh, experience watching that. So, look, I mean, the Tribeca at home has been good with documentaries better than it's been with live actions, but I, I like one live action narrative in terms of my eight uh, that I took in at home. It seems like thus far you've had a you know pretty average, your average grade has been like a, a B at worst right now for a lot, a lot of what of you took in at Tribeca. So that's, that's of, really cool to hear. Uh, yeah. And we'll cap it off here with uh, you and Eric Weber and a lot of people who love indie films. They... Enjoyed from 2020, The Killing of Two Lovers. You have the follow-up from the same director here, The Integrity of Joseph Chambers. What were your thoughts? Yeah, and much like the first film of Robert McElwain, liking this movie rests on the strength of you liking the third act. I happen to enjoy the third act of this because it's it's, it's a bit of a slog to get there. It's just about a guy who goes off hunting, (laughs) and he's just like putzing around in the woods for a while. So that's different than The Killing of Two Lovers, which is more like kind of you're on the edge because these these two lovers are just arguing with each other so hard, and it's kind of a cringy watch. But this guy's talented as a filmmaker, and I'm a big fan of cinematography. I'm a big fan of kind of how he rewards your patience, I would say. So if you're you're into a slow burn, the integrity of Joseph Chambers, another, you know, B minus for me in this instance. I think the last movie, The Killing of Two Lovers, I graded a B eighty six. Not quite that B plus range, almost there for me, which I'm really just huge thumbs up, banging the table for. But a lot of these movies are just very solid. So I, I, I mean, I'm I'm probably speaking more glowingly because I've enjoyed the Tribeca Film Fe- Festival experience than I have uh, in terms of what I feared it would be. Yeah. But like, I, there's a lot of movies I still want to see. Jerry and March go large. Don't make me go which is going to be John Cho's father-daughter road trip movie, and then a bunch more documentaries, like I said, uh, that I already had success with. But they got Rosa Parks, David Lynch, John McEnroe, Sinead O'Connor, Little little Baby, or Little Baby. Uh, little but Baby. Little Baby, The Boy Scouts of America Scandal, a bank robber doc called Carol and Johnny, and then three sports doc, one about the NBA, Game Change Game, one about the WNBA, Unfinished Business, and one about pro lacrosse. I want to watch all of these still. Uh, I don't know if I'll have enough time because I'm taking a trip to Philadelphia this weekend to coach, but I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy overall. I was afraid that a lot of these movies were going to suck. Only half of them sucked, which I won't (laughs) shout out. But I'm finding, I'm digging for gold. I'm, you know, buried treasure. I'm finding some. It's good. There you go. A good rundown and an upbeat and positive one from the, at least the first blush with Tribeca for the most part. And obviously what matters most to us, dear listeners, are your thoughts. Have you taken in anything from Tribeca being at the film festival itself or the Tribeca at home experience? Uh, let us know any of that as well. You can let us know your thoughts on any of the trailers we reviewed in the first part of this episode. Be sure to check out part one of this two-part ORC for you this week that we put out. That should be the last episode on your stream, on the MMO stream, under this one that you're listening to currently. Uh, and leave us all your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything from those episodes or anything having to do with anything we talk about here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you could leave us a five-star review, those help us out a great deal. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Michael, great job on the recaps here. Let's have some words of wisdom to end on and let's Let's tell the good people what's coming next from us. 
Well, Words of Wisdom are the same. Support the Tribeca Film Festival and many festivals like it. A lot of cool stuff out there at home, certainly in person. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I kind of was a little bummed out going into the uh, festival, but they've redeemed themselves. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. So that's good. Th- th- something definitely worth supporting, I would say. And I'm, I'm a satisfied customer at the end of the day. What's coming next from us, uh, Lightyear, Elvis, The Black Phone, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, maybe a second half, make the case, you know, entree or appetizer review of the rest of the movies I see at Tribeca and an Oscar race checkpoint. I don't know how many of those four films we'll do film studies for. We're kind of just debating that ourselves, but we're going to plan to cover those four movies for you guys because... uh, Looks like they're, you know, they could potentially factor into the Oscars conversation. So let's go. I'm into, I'm into the slate. Obviously, we've done a ton of previewing, Mike, uh, between sure the box office over over unders to today's episodes on all the trailers. So the the previewing may end, and the reviewing probably's got to start. Get right back into the Oscars uh, sprint, the Oscars marathon. I guess uh, time you to strap in. You got to Mad Men, and then going. we can. Well, yeah, I, I watch mean that's priorities being what they are, and hopefully <laughs> watch Game Seven uh, as we record this prior to Game Six. And if there's not a Game Seven, you could see my name in the paper because I'm not going to be happy. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid for you if you lose. <laughs> When reality or your basketball team in the final suck, you can come check out the movies and review Tribeca with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. Go Celtics, damn it. See ya.